0: So, if I to tell you, uh, Walter Cronkite, Kim Kardashian, and Jiminy Cricket, what do they have in common? Uh, e- even though they have different styles, different ways of doing it, um, they are all influencers. And this has been a major move in our culture recently to get Instagram and, and YouTube. We've made it a, a thing that kids are actually interested in being. What do you want to do? What's the job that you see for yourself in the future? And they say, YouTuber, I'm going to be an influencer. And... In our world, um, influence has been treated as a commodity to be sold. It's seen as now fiscally valuable. But for you, you don't have to sell your soul to gain an audience. Many people think that to get noticed, you need to be loud and uh, opinionated and sensationalist, click-baiting, or otherwise kind of attention-grabbing. And while that's the way of the world, that's the way the world is going, that's not the way that you need to go. When you wake up the next day, the morning after, your anger will probably be gone, but your hot take or your status update won't be. And it will linger far beyond in impact than the time taken to post it. We, you and I, we represent a kingdom with different values. The people themselves are valuable and not just their purchasing power or their political power. What you spend time with influences you. So long have people said stuff like movies and music and video games and news and politicians and media. They all influence people. And A violent video might not make you actually go out and murder people, but it does and it will influence you away from the Spirit, away from His, his fruit. You will experience a decline in your love, (coughs) joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all evidences. These are all the fruit of the Spirit. And as you grow (coughs) more spiritually healthy, you will see these fruit becoming more healthy in you. And more importantly, the way that it's really supposed to work is that the people around you will start to experience them through you. So, what are you growing in and growing towards? Let's be honest, growth can be scary sometimes, and when it's scary, that can frequently draw out of us our excuses, we get a little defensive. Consider this, it's not that you have tried deep, full-throated, all-in Christianity and found it wanting, Christianity was looked at, thought to be too hard, and left untried. We're very willing to edit and interpret away much of what God reveals and Jesus lived because it doesn't apply to me. That that's not what he really meant, though, right? And well, of course, because that was for a different people. It's a different country, and it was like two thousand years ago, right? It doesn't fit with our enlightened way of thinking. These are all really common edits to Jesus, not tried and found wanting, but glanced at and perceived to be too hard, and so left untried. And it's from this perspective that we go forward an influence, but we are called to more. We are not called to more on our own. We are called to more in partnership with the Holy Spirit, who frequently does not move until we are already in motion. He simply does not clear the path before us, but He walks with us along that path, informing, directing, nurturing, nudging us through the ups and through the downs of life. There's uh, now such a large growth in people who want to be influential, but, but to what end? It's a it's way to make money. It's a, it's a way to sell something. It's a way to market something, and it, it becomes part of the system of power and control. We influence so that we might gain, but the Holy Spirit is to be our influencer. He influences us so that He gives and we gain move with the Spirit, move in step with the Spirit, stay in step with the Spirit, and let that flow over you, influence you to serve and to benefit those around you, and to, by doing that, animate, bring to life the kingdom of God. The idea of mission and influence is noted throughout Scripture. It comes up again and again, but certainly one of the stories that stands out is the Apostle Paul. He's been one of the biggest influencers and one of the biggest of the influenced Because he went from a passionate Christian debunker to a radical, anti-Christian, state-sanctioned terrorist, having Christians killed, imprisoned, beaten, removing property. And he moved again to its most vocal, international advocate, risking his life multiple times and continuing on undeterred. And his passionate desire to influence his world took him past near-death experiences and mobs and stoning shipwrecks, scourging assassination attempts, all the way to his end game, all the way to Caesar himself. That was his goal, all the way to the leader of the massive international Roman Empire. All in an effort to unveil the story, to unveil the person who changes everything about our perceptions. And all of his life was then given that the world may know that God loves them and that Jesus, God's Son, came to die for them. No matter what language they spoke, no matter what color their skin, No matter what country they came from, it didn't matter if they were slaves or masters, men or women, rich or poor. Paul went out and traveled, influencing people all over the Mediterranean rim. And it was on one of these trips that something dramatic happened to change the trajectory of his ministry. Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man uh, of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so they went, got on a boat. They sailed out of Troas to the Roman city of Neapolis in Macedonia. That's where the crew landed. That's where they exited the ship. The mission on that Uh, from that crew was the Apostle Paul and Dr. Luke. Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, and Luke, the author of the Book of Acts, or the Book of the Acts of the Apostles, and a couple of others. And they got on a very busy, very important road called the Via Ignatia, leading them from uh, the eastern provinces all the way to Rome. Paul, Luke, their posse... They, they, they start in Neapolis and they move 10 miles down the road to this small, well, small city, an influential Macedonian place called Philippi. So they go to Philippi in response to the vision that Paul has about a man from Macedonia calling for aid. That's why they go. Philip is named after Philip II, the father of, and you're never going to guess who he was the father of. Philip II, the father of... Alexander the Great. Yeah, perhaps you've heard of him, right? But who knew that? Philippi is this uh, busy, multicultural city. Lots and lots of trade. And Paul and Luke arrive. They meet some people. They, they make some friends. They get connected. They start to teach people about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit uses them to bring about understanding. And the results of the partnership are new converts. And together they establish the, Philippi- the Philippian church. So they stay for a while, but Paul's call is always to move on to his next city. But, but, but he doesn't forget them. He stays in contact with these people, and so he continues to interact using letters, and he, and, he, and he sends people their way. We've got one of those letters, and we call it the book of Philippians, or the epistle, or the letter to the Philippians. So Paul's gone away. Uh, he's following up with these people, very diverse group of people, and that diversity is a struggle for them. And so throughout Philippians, the theme of unity is repeatedly raised and and spoken about from, you know, different angles. Members were divided amongst themselves and Paul sends exhortations to unity and he reminds them of a key way to achieve it. You want to know what that key way to achieve it was? Through mutual service. Generosity through time and treasure and talent. And that reveals a pathway to a growing faith in God that becomes evident in this world and is experienced through a growing shared unity. And that right there is a particularly into one kind of thing. Paul wrote this letter from prison. He's probably in Rome and it's probably approximately the year 61. So his context in writing to them was while in prison, under arrest, waiting to take his case to Caesar. The story of how he got to this place, you can read it for yourself. It's Acts chapter 28, 14, 31, something like that. Um, So with betrayal by his own people, arrest, imprisonment, all in his very recent past, hear the words that he's writing to his friends in Philippi, informed by all of that context and his personal applications of what he's recommending to them. I'm doing the same thing, he says. Philippians 4, starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. It's possible when he said the Lord is near that that he was thinking about the second coming of Jesus, the return of Christ. But it's more likely, or at the same time, he was also reminding them that the Lord is near. He is close to his people. He's not far away. He hears their cries, and he is aware of what they are involved in, what they are doing, and what is being done to them. The Lord is near. We talk more about this this passage in a a previous series we did called He's Still Got got the Whole World in His Hands. You can find that at our sermon archive at intoone.ca, and you can dive in a little deeper there. Continuing on, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So peace is standing guard. Uh, Maybe even in a military sense, guarding, uh, protecting, stabilizing their hearts and their minds. This is not about bringing uh, safety in all circumstances, but instead about bringing peace in the middle of the storm, guarding hearts, guarding minds in a time when they might very well be in the midst of hard things right in their everyday living. And that's absolutely the case for Paul. He's recommending to them what he is personally applying at that moment himself. Overcome, bear up under come through. How has Paul, how is Paul currently living this out? What's he doing? Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What about being in prison for ridiculous charges that threaten his very life would evoke this airy-fairy, blind-to-the-reality-of-circumstances advice? How is he not reacting to the government overreach? Why is he not commenting on his rights? He's a Roman citizen, for pity's sake. He's battling with his mind to guide It's thoughts to subject all things to the Lordship of Christ. First Jesus, then everything else after that. First think about these things. First embrace this truth. And then after that, go on to live and to comment. But take my advice, he says. Follow my example. I have before and I am right now living this out. I know what I'm talking about. I have been receiving that peace that I'm telling you about that's going to guard your hearts and minds. I've been receiving that in the midst of my life-threatening dire circumstances. It was true in my life before, and it is true right now, he says. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's calling himself there influencer. He says, hey, follow me on Instagram, all right? Follow me as I follow Christ. Be encouraged by me. Choose where to put your focus. Go eyes up. And when you do that, as you're doing that, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Compassion, Christ-like consideration for others. Being considerate Do this even when or especially when you are amongst people that you disagree with. This is when it makes the most difference. This is just a reworded repeat of Jesus when he said, love your enemies. So uh, we are struggling with that in Canada right now. The church and specifically Christians are becoming known for being the opposite of gentle in public. We have not been gentle, we have not been kind in a public forum all the while declaring our allegiance to Christ. What what is evident to all and coming from you? What, what, What does your outflow look like? What does your influence look like right now? Who you spend time with influences you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Another way to say that is loose character is contagious. It corrupts good morals. And, and, and then here comes a real kick in the pants. Here comes the spiritual rebuke. Are you ready for it? It's not me. It's the Apostle Paul again, and he's speaking, um, seeking to apply that Jesus' new commandment, that love one another as I have loved you. And he's writing another letter, again, this to another one of his baby churches, a very volatile, very divided, very troubled church in the city of Corinth. Verse 34, he says, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For are, there are those uh, among you who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Stop sinning. Be careful who you are with. Be careful who you allow to influence you. My friend, Norm, told me about his secret to social media, one of his secrets, and I think it's pretty good advice. He says, snooze them. Don't just cut people off in your life off because of of a bad post or even maybe because of a couple of them. But also don't just drink it all in. You can snooze them for a bit and then check back in on them a little bit later. Come on, everyone has tough seasons. Look on each other with grace and keep that top of mind. The more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, the less aware I am and the less consumed I am by what He has yet to do in the people around me. And our temptation as a church is that as we gain mass, uh, we have this gravitational pull to draw everyone into our orbit, come to our events, let us be the center of your community, the center of your mission, the center of your lives. But the gathering of the church, whether it's online or in person, to be training wheels for a life of hospitality and service in this world. And so as we gather together with each other and together with the Spirit of God, we are here to learn, to see things, and to accept them as they are. No more, no less. You are here to be equipped and empowered to live the life of love and service wherever you are and with whomever you are with. We are here to learn um, to experience our food as manna, as our daily bread, not as our wealth, not as our security, not as affirmation or compensation for something, but as our daily provision. And so in this time, together, we have the opportunity to make shalom, to work towards it, to build deep peace on a scale that, that we can manage In our shared time together, we ask God to guide us to see and to respond into our world in His image, in His likeness, like Him. And this is wisdom. This allows us to be wisely influenced that we might also wisely influence others. The Jesus way is always power under, not over. Invitational, not coercive. Bold, yet gentle. It's the power of mustard seeds and and yeast climbing down the ladder, not up. Self-sacrifice, not self-preservation. Listening and learning before speaking and telling. This is the way. This is the way that we are to live together when we are together and when we are separate. This is the way to live in partnership with the Spirit of Jesus. This season is hard. Our society is filled with challenge. What do we do when we're faced with gut-wrenching challenges? What does our influence look like then? What spills out of us, the, the, the outflow of our overflow? We get an example when we see God himself respond to Lazarus' death. He didn't say, hey, don't worry, he's in a better place. He didn't say, hey, don't worry, you're going to see him again. His response was to weep. That's it. A Christ-like response to someone's grief is to grieve with them. Not platitudes, not stoic strength, not flung Bible verses. And here Jesus is our model. He is our example. Memorize this guide verse. Memorize this application of proper applied theology. Here's the verse I want you to memorize. It's John chapter 11, verse 35. Lock it in. Jesus wept. Christians are called to bind wounds, not inflict them or enable those who do. And responding with joy in life's trials does not rule out sadness or anger or longing. All of those might be very appropriate. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wisely said this. He said, We are going to have to learn to feel more than one thing at a time. But, I mean, he said it in German, so it sounded really different when he said it. But that was the idea. Our greatest influence will be when, because of the grace that we have received and the promise and the hope of partnership with Christ Himself, that we live in joy. Joy is the river flowing out of the bedrock of faith, And hope and bedrock does not shift when it gets windy. What to do? Practical steps to go eyes up, to look Jesus first and then face everything else after. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Three, and pray for us too. Why, Paul? What's going on in your life that you sense your need for our prayer? He goes on, that that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He's getting ready to deliver the message of Jesus to Caesar himself. But he has been waiting in chains, in prison for years to fulfill what is a key part of his life mission. Verse 4 Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 5. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Seasoned with salt, like a preservative to the culture and like the flavor to the culture, you add spice. To life. That's pretty striking that Paul does not list truth among the fruit of the Spirit. The knowledge of the truth is what sets apart a Christian from a non-believer. How will the truth be experienced? Well, it is for you, it is for you to be abiding in the truth. And then the fruit of his character comes out in your character. Your character is then experienced by all whom you come in contact with, and you become a powerful influencer. I'm not sure that any of our lives were meant to be as heavily scrutinized as they are in this present moment. None of us are God. We are going to disappoint each other because we are all fallible human beings. All of our heroes have clay feet, And somehow we get tempted to hate them for that. Fight that urge. Treat others with the grace that you would like to be treated with. And better yet, treat others with the same grace that you have already been treated with by God. Love one another as I have loved you. And you bring this to life. You inspire each other, so keep on to carry on and to not give up. And remember, as you go forward well and wisely, remember that you are a powerful and a significant influencer. Christianity spreads best not through force, but through fascination. Give people a reason to be fascinated by our faith, and more importantly, to be fascinated by our Savior. We don't need to live in fear. We need to live in love. The the, the lack of fear should appear as love. Perfect love casts out fear. The display, the example of our faith, the way that we live and the way that we interact should be flavored by Highlighted by, experienced by love. As you continue to influence others, delight and display your joy and the fascination that we have with our Savior. Not the fist pounding. Anger that demands. Not the fingers aggressively pointing. But in the midst of wherever we are, the fascination, the peculiarity of our Savior, the wonder that it evokes in us. You don't need to protect Him. He's okay on His own. What you need to do is to display what it's like to be in his presence. And that opens people's eyes. That opens people's hearts. That creates fascination in them. Let me experience more for myself. Keep on influencing. Kind Father, I thank you for the way that you sent Jesus to this earth to not take over but to display a world that is different, a way of life that is alternate to what we are so ingrained with. Power and control is what we see. It's what we expect. It's what we experience. It's what we see in other people, and it's what we've emulated in ourselves. May the grace of the knowledge of the glory of God penetrate deeply into us that we might shine, we might glow with that fruit of the Spirit that is awed in this world, in this time, that we would be seen as different, loving, not demanding, caring individually, being compassionate, asking first, Jesus, what would you have of me? I will live in devotion. I will live in pursuit of you. And as I do that, what will that look like in my other relationships? What will that look like in my commentary? What will that look like in the opinions that I need to share? May we be known for love. Even as we have been loved, so shall we love. Thank you for your example Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace in our lives. We are well aware that we have not deserved it on plenty of occasions. And yet you have given freely to us. Give us that sense of wealth that we are free to share that grace with others. And light up our world with fascination for our Savior thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.